Hello and welcome to the Modern Wellness Podcast. I should say welcome back because it's been such a long time since we've actually had a podcast. It was March 20th last year was when the last episode was published, which was the 12 Laws of Karma. And there's been a hell of a lot happened since then. So it was pretty much around, I think, the 19th of March that we went into lockdown in Melbourne for the first time. I think we're in our sixth or seventh lockdown here. I think one lockdown has just rolled into another. March the 17th last year, St. Patrick's Day, my daughter was born, uh, Lakshmi, and she was born on the side of the road here in Melbourne. And I had to deliver her myself. And uh, a couple of days later, as we know, we went into a lockdown because of COVID. And between continuous lockdowns, COVID, having a, a baby, um, as well as another child, my son Arjuna. It's just been it's uh, it's been a roller coaster uh, over, over the last eighteen months or so. So, having that time to do the podcast, and, and uh, I've been itching to get back, and so we're finally here again with the More Than Wellness podcast. And um, it was actually Richmond who is the guest on this podcast. Um, we're talking about trauma release exercises. Richmond reached out to me and said, "You know what? I'd love to do another podcast about TRE." And I thought that'd be great to to get back into doing the podcast again and to start off with a great subject, particularly in light of everything that's going on at the moment. As a well-being facilitator and health practitioner, I'm seeing people still come into the clinic because we're considered essential workers here in Victoria. We are allowed to see people for urgent and essential care. And so when we cancel an appointment with somebody who isn't deemed urgent and essential within a few weeks, it often becomes urgent and essential because you put off treatment and then they deteriorate. What I'm seeing is a huge amount of um, mental and emotional stress caused not just by the fear of COVID, but also by the continuous lockdowns and the fact that people can't see their friends, their families, their loved ones. It's taking a huge toll on people because humans are social, you know, it's it woven into the very fabric of our being. It's what has allowed us to evolve as a species. So being social with other humans is essential to our well-being and it's really hurting us right now. So we recorded this podcast with a view to giving people some information about trauma release exercises, how it can be beneficial in dealing with stress and anxiety and depression because it can be effective in all those things. And that's really what we were looking to do in this podcast is is show people, tell people about TRE and let them know where they can go to find a TRE provider or to find out more information information about TRE. Um, and also Richmond has a course um, which we'll mention in the podcast, TREcourse.com. Uh, if you are searching for that, make sure you put it in as www.trecourse.com rather than just trecourse.com. I find that when I put that into Google Chrome, it doesn't actually show up. Whereas if you put in www.trecourse.com, it does actually open the web page. But anyway, we're back with the More Than Wellness podcast. I'm so happy um, to be interviewing Richmond about TRE, to be so happy to be back doing the podcast and um, looking to get some great guests again for the More Than Wellness podcast. My intention for the podcast has changed a little. So previously I was interviewing guests about their modalities and, and kind of what it is unique that they offer. But I want to really focus in light of everything that's happening is 
um, in future, rather than coming out with a weekly episode, I really want to make sure that we retain uh, really high quality guests, um, even if it takes a little more time to get episodes together and make sure it's really, really helpful to people rather than informing people about different modalities that are available. I really want to help people to manage their well-being and talk about things that are pertinent um, in the podcast to well-being, whether it be mental, emotional, physical or spiritual. So that's the intention going forward. So today's episode, as I say, is with Richmond Heath of uh, TRE Australia. Richmond is a friend of mine. I've trained in, with Richmond and TRE myself um, and I met Richmond several years before uh, a men's gathering called Menergy, which is really a, a conscious gathering of men to help us to grow and evolve. And Richmond certainly embodies that. So I really hope you enjoy this episode um, and uh, we'll see you soon. Take care. So Richmond, welcome to the More Than Wellness podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me again. Cool. Thanks for coming on. And um, so I think what we're going to talk about today then is TRE, trauma release exercises, what TRE is how it's been developed and how it can help us uh, particularly in our endless lockdowns here in um on the east coast of australia and just for everything else that's going on with with covid and and you know covid stress and covid strain and everything else and how we we manage the the stress of covid mm. yeah well look for me mick it's a this is a self-care technique for the times and because of exactly what you say, so much is going on all around the world. And the big issues, of course, is our medical system. Um, just physical health and well-being medical system is, you know, overwhelmed, yet alone our mental health system. And so the technique, and, you know, you mentioned it was called trauma release exercises, which originally was because David Berselli, who developed it, was looking at tremoring and shaking in war zones where he was he was working as a relief worker. So it had that very much trauma relief or trauma recovery um, angle to it. But when he brought it back to the West, he was finding that people were getting you know relief from back pain and headaches and sleeping better. So just general stress and tension. So it kind of became known as tension and trauma release exercises. But one of the key aspects, Mick, is that, and, and how David came to be wanting to develop this technique was in these war zones. He's saying, look, we can't have one-on-one um, one-on-one treatments. We can't have a therapeutic model where people need to see a therapist in order to be able to heal from these mass-scale um, disasters. It's just, just overwhelming numbers and too many people. And that's why I say COVID is just a perfect example where globally a therapeutic model just doesn't, just can't reach everyone and can't support everyone. And so that was really the, the it's kind of the magic for me about TRE was he was looking for a way to help people in large-scale disasters, mass groups of people to empower them in their own recovery and to be able to support each other in their recovery without needing the therapist or having to pay for it or having to go and see someone. It's, you know, already been spread, already spread to more than 70 countries around the world, estimated more than 5 billion people have learned it just purely by word of mouth. There's research starting, but um, as I say, at this time with COVID, when everyone's struggling with lockdown and um, you know, stress and the big one, of course, is uncertainty, financial presses, pressures. Even though there are all those external stresses, we're still getting the same body still responding with tension, physical tension when we get stressed. The shoulders are going to lift up, you know, our muscles get tight, we lose sleep. So 
what it does is it gives us an avenue to physically release the body-based aspects of you know stress and tension regardless of what the cause is and um and that's the real magic is once people learn this technique and even though we say it's a technique you know this is about accessing a natural recovery reflex that we all have and once we learn it then we can go great this is a process we've got inside us that we can use for life it doesn't cost us anything and we can use it whenever and wherever we want yeah and that's um it's a key thing and i remember david Brissell, you talking about it in in the book um i think what's the the book that he wrote in tre i think he has the, a the revolutionary Revolutionary, revolutionary trauma release process. release process yeah that's the one yep. and um he talked about somebody he was in a church i think it was um and this guy came in and he was just covered in just dust and had you know no shoes or anything like that and uh, had been traumatized and he thought there must be a way for this guy to to get relief from his trauma to get some sort of healing i can't believe that you know we don't have a mechanism for healing from trauma within innately within ourselves or for healing from from our the things that have happened to us and of course um you, you, there's, there's so many videos of animals uh that are great to look at there's one particular one i love of i think an impala which is captured by a leopard and it's just completely it looks dead you know just this limp body and uh, a hyena comes along and the, the leopard runs off and the impala is left on its own. And after a few minutes, you start to see it start to come to life again. And it goes through this entire shaking process of releasing the trauma of everything that's happened. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's innately in all living creatures, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. And I, I remember also David Berselli, the TRE founder at a workshop when he was out in Australia one time, sort of just postulating the question saying, you know, we know that when our body goes into stress and trauma, it happens unconsciously or subconsciously. You know, the body just responds. If you hear a bang, the muscles all tighten up. We don't, it's not to do with our cognition. And I just remember him so clearly saying, you know, doesn't it make sense if we've got these automatic reflexes that take us into these defensive, tense trauma patterns? Doesn't it make sense that we would have evolved with similar subconscious reflexes to take us back out? Um, and, you know, exactly what you say there with animals and when we look at our animalistic, you know, mammalian body that we all have, we all do have this shaking reflex. It's just that in Western cultures, and this is definitely not in all cultures because many traditional cultures around the world recognize and deliberately use this shaking or tremoring reflex for health, well-being, recovery and spirituality. It's just primarily in our Western context, we have misunderstood it and misinterpreted it misinterpreted it so that we see that it's a symptom of stress or anxiety or shock or trauma or post-traumatic stress. So if I'm speaking and my hands start to shake, we all just think that's a sign of anxiety and we'll try and lock it down. In our Western medical model, if you've had a traumatic experience and you've got shakes and tremors afterwards, we would either say that is a sign of shock or we'd say that's the start of you know, post-traumatic stress or you've got anxiety or you're having a panic attack. Whereas that shaking or that trembling reflex that we all know about, it's obviously not helping our body to fight or to flee. And it's also not helping our body to freeze or immobilize, which is the kind of physiological component of a trauma response where it's just locking down. So the shaking is not part of our stress response. It's often associated with it, but it's actually the recovery, the recovery part of it, or what I like to call the recovery cascade, because it's 
just as subconscious and automatic, instinctual and habitual as the way our body goes into stress and trauma below the level of our cognitive control, our body also has the capacity to come back out of those states in a similar subconscious and instinctual way. And all we're doing with TRE is reframing this shaking, tremoring response as a positive recovery resource and then teaching people how to deliberately invoke it in a safe and controlled way. Um, just thinking as you're talking there, because it's, it's, it's bringing me to um, polyvagal theory and the curve of, of polyvagal theory. And I'm, I'm guessing some people listening will know about it and a lot of people probably won't. Um, but with, with the polyvagal curve, um, I learned this from you, you know, you start off in your kind of your baseline, you're in your, your um, sympathetic, sorry, your parasympathetic engagement, the, the rest and digest and everything's fine. And then you have your, your stress, which brings you into that fight or flight uh, mode. And then after that, you go into that freeze state, um, which we kind of would associate with, with depression and hopelessness. And then coming back out of that is when we come back into um that reactivation of the nervous system um and that's essentially what when when we medicate for anxiety and things like that we really are keeping people stuck in that that kind of freeze end of the the curve really aren't we look potentially depending on like if we're using medication to prevent the shaking and trembling that people might have and there can be lots of different pathological causes for you know shaking and trembling like people obviously think of parkinson's yeah. so it's not that all shakes and tremors are, you know, recovery response. Um, and, and even with medication, you know, I always like to say to people, it can be very similar to having a set of crutches. You know, if you've broken your leg, a set of crutches is going to help you get around. But if you're going to be using them forever, then, yeah, you're not healing and you're probably not going to use it. So medication can be a very useful uh, pattern interrupt or a support tool. But, yeah, ultimately what we're looking for is the body to come back to life and come out of those immobility um, states. You know, what you mentioned about polyvagal theory is really important, the work of Stephen Porges, who showed that rather than having two sides of our nervous system or autonomic nervous system with fight and flight or rest and digest or the sympathetic and the parasympathetic, that we've got these two different ways as, as mammals of calming our system down so one where we can be truly calm and relaxed and we're engaged with others and socially engaged engaged with the world around us but that that trauma or immobility or shutting down and disconnection state where we get a dual activation of the sympathetic nervous system so our fight and flight response is on mm -hmm. but then our what we call our dorsal vagal parasympathetic system anyway it's just another thing it's like the emergency brake in the car that comes on at the same time so we have a system where it's like the engine is running internally, but the handbrake is on and we're not going anywhere. And it looks externally like there's not a lot of movement, but it's actually a highly charged or defended state. So when we understand the trauma or the immobility response as this dual activation where the engine's running and the brake's on, then it makes sense that to come back out of that state when we're releasing the brakes and the, the containment, part of the system involves restoring movement and vitality to the body so restoring heart rate and breath and flexibility and freedom of the muscles to contract and, and relax and this is where another great example where it's not always just about recovery from trauma but a great example Mick is when mammals come out of hibernation so when they've gone into hibernation and their body goes into a deep you know state of 
survival and immobility where everything shuts down, heart rate slows way down, breath shut, you know, metabolism, everything slows down. And then when they're coming back to life, literally their body starts to shake and tremble before they're even conscious or awake again. And that process is starting to restore, you know, life, life force, for want of a better word, blood flow, vitality and movement back into the body. And by movement, I don't just mean physical movement of the body through space and the muscles moving the body, but you know, movement and the capacity to move in the autonomic nervous system so that our heart can beat fully and relax fully. Our breath can be a big, deep breath and then fully let go. So there's that combined element where we're coming out of these states of immobility or contained uh, vitality in the body to move back into vitality is a, involves a restoration of movement and flow. Yeah. Um, so with medication, then just just going back to that point, um, mm. TRE, it's not. I first off, it's not um, a substitute for medication in those situations, is it? No. Look, it's not a it's not a substitute for anything really in terms of if people need specific uh, help. And I kind of like to think about it a little bit, Mick, as being like first aid. So again, 90% of the problems, 90% of the time, but if you've just, you know, lost the bottom half of your leg, you're going to need surgery and you're going to need all that support. So Mm -hmm. I see TRE is very much like that. It's the same thing, but physically we might need help. We may need medication. We may need mental health support. We may need all of those things. But what we're working with is just really trying to optimize the, the balance and well-being of our nervous system and our neuromuscular system to then support and enhance the effects of everything else we're doing. So medication, again, if we're medicating to prevent trembling and there's no other pathological cause for it, then potentially, yeah, we can be actually inadvertently inhibiting the precise reflex that the body is trying to initiate in order to help us recover. And it's no different from, as I say, if you're public speaking and your hands are shaking, Mm-hmm. That is a sign that, yes, the body is nervous, my might be nervous, but the shaking is not part of being nervous. It's trying to discharge and dissipate that tension and bracing. So what we all do, of course, is we suppress it because we don't want to look anxious. And by doing that, we actually are closing off the pathway that the body's trying to activate to calm us down. Um, but of course, again, in our culture, we interpret that as a sign of weakness and loss of control. And there's a, a huge amount of stigma um, around shaking. So can, if people are on medication um, for, for those symptoms, can they do TRE safely in addition to taking the medication? Yeah, look, again, it depends very much what their medication is for, what their condition is, how severe their condition is. So um, you know, in the free online course that I created last year while I was on JobKeeper, so it was a way of giving back to, you know, the taxpayers were paying me to survive. So in that free online course, you know, a simple rule of thumb is if people are on medication, then that's a sign that they've got some kind of condition, could be physical health, could be mental health. In that case, then it's generally recommended that you probably want to learn with a TRE provider who can just make sure that work out how's it going to work for you, what do we need to regulate and, and really make sure that it's going to be safe and comfortable. That said, if people are on, you know, really basic medication and they haven't got any major problems, they're probably going to be absolutely fine. And a lot of them can even just learn that 
you know, through a self-guided learning course. But as I say, as a rule of thumb, if you're on medication, it's a sign that you've got something significant going on. So learning with a provider is always going to be the safest uh, avenue because they'll be able to advise you about how to adjust it. But it certainly doesn't preclude you from using the tremoring. And I always like to say, you know, it doesn't matter what medication you are on. If you have a car accident, you have a massive big trauma and a shock, your body is going to shake and tremor. It's, it doesn't care what the medication, uh, you know, what the medication you are on in the background. So it doesn't preclude it, but we like to caution people um, because we want to help them integrate the tremoring process with whatever their pre-existing conditions are. So there is a register of TRE providers then on treaustralia.com? Yeah, that's right. At treaustralia.com, um, there's the Australian TRE providers. Yeah. I think there's about 50 or 60 of those. Um, and of course, at the moment, and this has been kind of a positive to come out of COVID is, we all generally offer sessions online as well because it's a, a process where we're using some really simple exercises to invoke the shaking, even though there are benefits to doing it face-to-face and we can do hands-on things to help facilitate the tremors. It's a, a technique that works extremely well via Zoom or online where we're just guiding people how to invoke the tremors and how to self-regulate them and simple position changes and things they can do to help the process go a lot deeper. So there's the Australian providers at terryaustralia.com, but also there are Terry providers all around the world. I think there's 70 countries and growing very rapidly. And you can find Terry providers around the world at traumaprevention.com. Um, yeah, and you can go and find them there. Traumaprevention.com. Okay. Yeah. Um, and the other thing then is the TRE course that you mentioned before is on... Um, <laughs> www.trecourse.com so be careful about just putting in trecourse.com because that's what i was doing and it just wasn't working but if you put www beforehand it does bring you to tre course and there is a self-guided learning course on there with videos and instructions and no assignments no assignments (laughs) yeah it's a combination look it's a combination of a bit of the basic theory so people understand it because again in our western culture we have to reframe why would I deliberately want to make my body shake and tremble? Because we've seen, you know, again, psychologically, we say it's a sign of anxiety and stress and panic attacks. And even in a, you know, sports model or a physical model, we would say it's a sign of weakness at the gym. Uh, you know, so yeah. again, lack of control. So we do, we, it's valuable for people to understand a different perspective on the shaking reflex. So, you know, so we go, okay, this makes sense. Let's deliberately invoke it. And then also learning a little bit about how to, what we call self-regulate the technique, which means that even though you're letting go and surrendering and letting your body shake and tremble and move however it wants to, we're teaching people that they can always control it and stop and start it on their own terms. So they feel in control of how much they let go of control, for want of a better word. So it becomes safe and comfortable. And ultimately, for most people, it becomes very pleasurable with the, the movements. And so that's the self-regulation while you're using the tremoring uh, process or reflex, whatever you want to call it. But then also giving you an understanding of how to integrate it into your life um, to understand, you know, what the effects are. And I liken it to anything else in the world. You know, you can do too much of it and similar to eating too much food. But often what people do like eating too much food is we often don't notice until afterwards that we did we ate too much earlier. So 
part of the course is guiding people to recognize while they're tremoring, some parts of their body might actually be bracing and resisting and holding on against letting go. Nothing to do with our conscious mind. So for example, your hips and legs might be shaking and then your chest is about to start to, to rock side to side or something. And then the muscles of the chest and your breath just start to grip and hold. Now, most of us ignore that because you know it could be a furrow in the brow or could be clenching in the jaw. Most of us live our lives in a fairly tense state. So as the tremors start to move through the body, we guide people how to notice if there is resistance and bracing against the letting go. And all they do then is slide their legs out and have a break, relax. And then when they start again, they will generally find that that part of the body is ready to start to move more freely. So the concepts around integration, learning you know, how to do it, when to do it, how long, how else can you um, improve it? How do you integrate it into your life, whether you use it? before or after Pilates, before mindfulness, at the end of the day in bed, all that information is in the course along with three guided sessions. So you can learn how to invoke it, regulate and integrate it into your life. Um, it's about three and a half, I think, total hours broken into three sections. And the guided sessions give you the instructions. There's people, we recorded it just with people demonstrating live on Zoom. So you can watch along, follow the instructions and by the end of the course you should have a pretty good handle on it and be able to keep using it on your own for the rest of your life and that's one of the key things about TRE providers is it's unlike other therapies you're not ideally going to be going to a theory provider every week for the rest of your life I mean really what a theory provider is doing is teaching you how to do TRE so that you can use it yourself then afterwards isn't that right absolutely and that was the thing that most drew me to TRE from the very beginning and the thing that I'm most passionate about and part of the reason why I've created a free online course is because it's not about trying to re drive repeat business. You know, that's not what its gift, gift is. There are countless brilliant therapies around the world, endless, you know, trauma therapies, physical, mental health. We have countless therapists that are doing a wonderful job. So this, however, is about empowering people in their own well-being, and especially at a time like COVID-19, where we can't get access to all the services. You know, the system is already, um, you know, even without huge numbers in Australia, the system is already under huge duress. And as we go into vaccination and states start to open back up and the system gets even further under, um, you know, under capacity, more people will be going, I can't get access to the help that I normally would in that therapeutic model. And the other element of it, Mick, is that if people learn this technique, it's effectively a form of trauma inoculation. And by that, I mean, if you think about what a vaccine does, is it, sure, you know, whatever you put into the body, it stimulates your body's capacity to respond when it needs to. And so what I also love about CRE in that educational is that when we learn that this response and this shaking reflex, again, it's not really, theory is a technique, but it's taking us to this natural reflex that we all have inside us. When we reframe that and we learn that we can deliberately use it, what it does mean then is when we do get stressed or if we do have a traumatic experience, whether that's physical, psychological or emotional, when our body is bracing and getting tight and tense, if you've already learned how to use this technique, then it means you can start to unwind that response immediately 
rather than letting it build up over time. And the other classic example is, you know, natural disasters like the bushfires, where people go into survival mode and it's not until months, sometimes even years later, that that all starts to catch up with them because the body's carrying around that tension and we're just focused on survival. So if people can learn this technique now or when they're kids, I would love to see that in 20 or 30 years it will be part of just standard education in schools so that then when we do have situations where we're overwhelmed, where we're stressed, where the external factors are impacting us or we're having you know, shock or trauma, that people know the sooner that we can unwind and release those physiological responses or those defense responses, those trauma and immobility bracing responses, the sooner, sooner we can let go of those, the better. And the research is very clear is after a traumatic event, if your physiology can go back to a calm, relaxed state, you are highly unlikely to develop PTSD. And that's very different because we might psychologically know that the event is over, but it doesn't mean that the physiology of the body um, has let it go. It's specifically because our stress and trauma response involves a level of disconnection from our body. It's not wrong or bad. You know, if I'm about to get eaten to death by a saber-toothed tiger, I don't want to feel my body and know what it's like. So part of our stress and trauma response is a disconnection from feeling what's happening in our body. And then we see, you know, maintaining that there's endless ways to maintain that disconnection, drugs, alcohol, sex, Facebook, you know, overwork. TV, all those different ways that keep us disembodied and out of our physical body, which is a sad thing because in Western culture, many of us we live quite in a you know quite a disembodied life where we're carrying stress and tension around, so it's not ultimately a very pleasant place to be dwelling. And that's a sad fact because you know we're meant to have a fairly uh, you know positive, enjoyable, and and even pleasurable experience in the human body, not always, but you know, let's just kind of get more tense and more bound the older we get. We just think that's normal ageing rather than recognising it as a, a sign that we've got unresolved stress and tension. And that is the key thing about TRE, isn't it? It's, it's embodied. It's not so much a matter of going into the story from an intellectual perspective. It's about getting in touch with our physiology, getting in touch with our body, our physical selves, and listening to our bodies and, and, and where they're at and what they need. Yeah, very much. It's it's specifically in a way bypassing our ego and our conscious mind. I mean, we're, in a way, we're just we're using our ego and our conscious mind to deliberately connect with this tremor reflex. But then once that happens, the body is generating the movements all on its own. Now, that can sound wow, that sounds really extraordinary and really weird, like the body's moving on its own. But I also like to point out that when you've got tight shoulders at the end of the day because you're stressed at work, you haven't consciously lifted those shoulders up. Or if your you know, pelvic floor muscles are gripping on, how did that happen? That all happened unconsciously. In the same way as if we laugh or we cry, we don't consciously create those movements. So on some level, Mick, it's just completely you know, it's just completely normal. It's just that we're so used to pathologizing and stigmatizing shaking as something wrong and bad that when it happens, we think that's different. But the reality is all of us, you know, sitting here or driving or walking, whatever you're doing, listening to this podcast, we've all got parts of our body that are gripping and holding tension and none of us are doing it. 
but we don't, you know, well, none of us are doing it consciously. It's just happening in the body's generating it. But we don't think, gee, that's weird. My body's doing that on its own. My shoulders are getting tight. My lower back's getting tight. We just sort of think about that. But then when it starts to shift and release, then we go, hang on, my body's moving on its own because we're used to it not moving on its own, if that makes sense. Or at least, yeah, as you're saying, that we're not aware of it moving on its own, but it's moving on its own all the time without us consciously engaging in that, of course. Yeah. Absolutely. And and so um theory itself then it's a series of exercises um to begin with anyway it's a series of exercises designed to bring about a gentle fatigue in the muscles to to trigger that that tremoring response yeah traditionally traditionally it was it was a series of seven exercises fatiguing the legs and uh stretching the muscles of the legs and pelvis but certainly over the last four or five years um, that hasn't been so much the case. And for me personally, for probably the first four or five years, last four or five years, sorry, I've been introducing it to it. And lots of TRE providers around the world are doing this, simply lying on our backs using one exercise where we're moving our legs and we just move them slowly until we feel a little bit of fatigue and a little bit of a, a tremor. So that um, in my experience, I would say 99% of people, maybe 99.5% of people, can connect in with this shaking, tremoring reflex within about a minute or two minutes at the most. So what that means is rather than going, oh, gee, you know, none of us, let's face it, none of us are going, I need an extra half an hour of personal care, self-care practice to add into my life because none of us are going, oh, we've got an extra half an hour, we're, you know, we've got all the spare time, what are we going to do it? We're already stressed for time. And so once we learn that we can just simply lie on the floor and within a minute or two, start to connect into the tremors. And it doesn't take much physical effort. It doesn't take any real mental focus. So if you're wiped out at the end of the day of work, you've been on the computer all the day, the last thing you want to do is meditate and use your, focus your mind. This process will actually start to create similar effects but without you having to, to do it. And the vast majority of people, I would say, use their tremoring simply lying in bed, uh, last thing at night before going to sleep, because it doesn't, as I say, it doesn't take much effort and it's easy and you can do it in five or 10 minutes. So it's an incredibly empowering process. And as you say, well, theory started as it's about a series of exercises. It's really not about the exercises at all. It's about where those exercises take us and connect us, connect us with, which is this innate shaking and tremoring uh, impulse. And Lots of people experience it and access it other ways, including my first experience of spontaneous movement like this was through the passion of meditation, where as my conscious mind relaxed, I found that my body started to rock and sway. And when I just observed that and I didn't stop it or inhibit it, I found my body started to do all these quite extraordinary movements. And many people relate to the vibrations or rocking in, in meditation. But of course, we've all been told to sit still. So as soon as it happens, we inhibit it rather than allowing it it's interesting you're bringing up meditation then because it's something i notice when i sit to meditate now having i mean i, I did qigong for years before doing uh tre and and the very first uh time i went into the hall when you were uh doing the introduction to, to tre and you know i walked into the room and i sat down and i started shaking immediately it's like I just the energy was just ready to to do that just from having spent years doing qigong um but I'd always sat still in meditation um 
even though you know I, I'd been used to shaking through doing qigong and, and tai chi, but having done TRE and having trained in it, when I sit down to meditate now, like my face will start to spontaneously start to scrunch up and and, and blink and and all these movements involuntary movements will happen through my body and it's like my body's way of saying oh great we're going to meditate now now I can start to release all of this tension that I'm holding on to and really all of the stress and stuff. And I, I just, just love allowing that to happen in my body and just enjoying the process and feeling, you know, particularly my face, because that that's where it tends to start off. My eyes will just start blinking like crazy. And uh, when I sit mm. down to meditate and TRA just has that way of, of bringing me into a deeper state of being in my meditation. Eventually I can get to that place of being still, but only after I allow the movement to happen spontaneously. Yeah, look, it's a great point you make and an area that I'm really passionate about is because in the West, in my experience, the vast majority of people confuse stillness with, no, with non-movement or a lack of movement. So when you think about meditating on the breath, does that mean that you don't breathe? No, of course not. There's still a movement of the breath. Uh, when you meditate, does that mean that your heart stops beating and stops moving? No, of course not. And in fact, as you get more relaxed, the our heart rate variability actually increases, which means as we breathe in, the heartbeat speeds up as we breathe in. And then as we breathe out, it slows back down. So most of us in the West have got, or I should say most of us, many of us in the West have confused this idea that stillness, stillness means sitting still. And peace means sitting still in an ashram with no stimulation and I'm very quiet and I don't make any noise. Rather than understanding this sense of that can be stillness within the movement or there can be movement within the stillness, this dual, uh, this dual sense of, you know, like the centre of the, the, the tornado or the cyclone, you know, there's, there's something deeper inside us. And so exactly as you say, when people start to experience shaking and tremoring, instead of going, great, just observe that movement in your physical structure and your neuromuscular structure in the same way that you observe your breath without trying to control it, we just don't do that. And that's where, um, again, it doesn't tremoring and, and neurogenic tremors or you know these spontaneous movements doesn't replace meditation or mindfulness. But what it will do is deepen it and enhance it significantly because most people, when they meditate, will often dissociate or disconnect from the body in order to supposedly be really still. And then we get up afterwards like, oh, my God, I can't straighten my legs out because they're so stiff and sore. But that was a really great, calm, centered place in my mind, partly because we've completely disconnected from the body. So, you know, one of my dreams, Mick, one day is to be running, you know, combining like a Vipassana meditation course with Tauri where people get into that state where you're allowing the movements and you're just observing that in the same way that you're observing everything else. But we've got this misconception that stillness is about controlling the body rather than simply embodying it and allow it. And as you say, when we do allow it to discharge, then afterwards it naturally comes to a more quiet, relaxed place of you know, more smooth, soft movement or even rest. That's just our natural rhythm. But far too many of us don't allow that process and we try and go straight for the straight for the stillness without actually allowing the activation and the excitement in the system as well and it is as you said very much about controlling 
the body using our mind to subdue the body and thinking that's our way of of being still and being peaceful um yeah funny thing that doing tra and, and um you know it, it's it's something that might not be ideal if you if you're going to meditate with other people and you're starting off with doing tra while they're trying to sit and control the body you might disturb them a little because it's not just the physical movements that it's also the vocalizations that can often happen and you just spontaneously start to emit sounds um because you know there's muscles in in the, the vocal cords too and, and and they need to often release you know all those things that we didn't say that we held in eventually it's like well ham hey, let's let those things go now and that can disturb other people who have certain misconceptions or, or preconceptions rather than misconceptions around what meditation is that's right if if it you know and well perfect example for me was when i first experienced the spontaneous movement on my meditation course I went back into the hall late at night when everyone had gone to bed because I was like, well, I don't want to explore this and do this because it's going to affect other people. Um, and so that's, you know, I chose to do that. And then at some point I got asked to leave the course because I, I, was, I was stuck with this sense of going, well, am I going to control these movements or am I going to let them happen? And I had the teacher on one hand saying, you know, sit still. This is a meditation of strong determination and no movement. And then on the other hand, I'm hearing, you know, the, Buddha lecture saying just observe and I thought well I'm going to go with Buddha and I'm just going to observe it and let it keep happening but in that context that wasn't an appropriate area for that to do so I was like right well I can't do this during the group sitting meditation where the context and the culture is let's sit let's sit still but there are as I say countless I shouldn't countless there's lots and lots of different cultures around the world that have deliberately you know used this and in terms of meditation for me the the use of this reflex. The greatest example was the ancient samurai. And when we think of samurai warriors and the, you know, those films they make, they have superhuman capacities. They're jumping onto roofs. They're doing all this extraordinary stuff. They are the most lethal warriors, but at the same time, they are chilled out Zen masters with this, you know, mental clarity. So the ancient, ancient samurai practice a very similar technique to TRE or a different way of accessing it, but ultimately getting to the same spontaneous movement process. Theirs was called Seiki Jutsu, which roughly translates as life force, uh, life force yoga or life force meditation or something. And they would meditate on their stool and all they're really doing is take, calming down their prefrontal cortex or their conscious mind, which normally inhibits these movements in our cortex until the point where their body would start to move and flow and shake and tremble and it was a secret practice but one of the the keys to their seemingly superhuman capacities so again in western world terry it seems like wow this is all new and what's the research and what's the evidence and how does it work and how do we explain it neuroscientifically and yet animals all over the planet just let it happen children naturally let it happen traditional cultures all around the world have recognized this it's just us in our Western culture that's misunderstood it. And then we say, well, we need, you know, 500 double blind randomized controlled trials in order to, to understand, is this okay? And what does it do? And in a way, it's, it's very similar to saying, how much research do you need to know about crying in order to know that crying when, you, when you're upset is useful? You just let it happen. And then afterwards, you go, oh, I feel better. Or laughing for that matter. And it's spontaneous. And in a way, the movements of, that we invoke in deliberately with Terry, they're no different. They're just a natural process. And what I love about it is you can 
experience the impacts immediately. You don't have to, you know, for me, if I, I tremor and when I first did it, that was the big thing. I, I did a tremor and I had tiny little shake in the inner thigh, hardly even thought anything about it. I went to bed. The next morning I woke up and I was like, oh my God, what just happened? I slept like I hadn't slept for 40 years. And I literally woke up with a different body. The tension in my calves that had been a chronic tension pattern for 20 years had just seemed to disappear and melt away. It felt like my heels were through the ground. So again, that's one thing that I love about it is people experience it. They have an immediate effect and an impact. And that's what that's why it's spread around the world so quickly, not because we're intellectually proving it and making sense. That's useful to help us get out of the way and let us use it. But because people experience it and they go, I can't deny that this has just had some kind of profound effect on my physical body or also my mind. And that's so many people get up and they say, wow, it's like I've just done two or three hours of meditation, but I've just done 15 minutes of shaking and I wasn't doing anything at all. So that's a, a, another huge area of potentiality is about, you know, training the mind and our mindset and working with flow states and also creativity. So it's not just about releasing stress and tension all the time. Uh, it's interesting that you talked about crying then um, because very much so, as we were talking earlier on about our, our preconceptions, we definitely have a lot of conditioning around crying and seeing people crying and we often judge it as being a bad thing. Um, whereas obviously, you know, it's not, it's, it's a natural response, um, to, for, for us to, to, you know, whether it be grief or whether it be pain or, or, you know, any number of things, it's our body's way of dealing with it. And we see somebody crying and, you know, often as we want to stop them from crying out here, don't cry. You know, you don't need to cry. Well, actually you do need to cry. Mm. You know, that that's happening naturally, just like laughter Absolutely. does. That's right. And the first question we just about all ask is, what's wrong? Now, yeah. it's a beautiful question because we're saying, right, obviously something's happened and something's wrong, but we overlook the fact of going, what's right? Well, what's right is the body's crying and the body's already releasing the, the tension and the bracing that goes with the hurt, whether it's physical or emotional. So yeah, you're, you're 100% right. Um, a funny other aspect of the crying, you know, we look weak, we look vulnerable, but I remember my partner said to me one day, she goes, one of the reasons why I think we don't let ourselves cry is we basically look ugly. Now, that's a very cultural thing, but not many people look attractive when they're crying. And so from a young age, we learn to go, oh, don't look vulnerable. Don't look weird. Don't look, you know, snotty nose. Don't. And in our, our current Western culture, where image is such an overriding, uh, you know, such an overriding part of identity that you know, very rarely do you see people crying fully and freely. Um, in our Western culture, again, at funerals, most of the time we would say people are being really strong at a funeral and doing really well if they're not crying, which effectively means they haven't grieved, they're not grieving yet, they're not letting that process happen. Yeah. Um, and what you were talking about before as well, then, um, is is what David Berselli mentions in, in the book, is how we are socialized out of it just like we're socialized out of crying in public you know it's not the done thing you know it's in some cases socially unacceptable to do mm. that because you're upsetting the people around you by being upset um yep. and you know we're socialized out of releasing our trauma shaking because you know 
as we used to say, I don't know if it's a thing in Australia, but we used to say back home in Ireland, um, their nerves are at them. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. be shy. Oh, his nerves are at him. Yeah, there's something wrong with his nerves are at him. That's right. And look, even in TRE, Nick, where the model of the shaking, again, originally and part of it was around, oh, we're releasing stress and tension. We tend to kind of see the shaking as a, as a kind of positive negative. Now, what I mean by that is we're going, my hands are shaking while I'm public speaking. That means I'm anxious. But the shaking, and normally, you know, we would say, oh, that's a sign of nerves and we try and suppress it. And when people first come to TRE, they'll say, all right, I'm shaking. That means I'm anxious. But the shaking is helping me calm down. So it's a good thing. But it's kind of a good thing showing me that I've still got a bad thing, which is my nerves and my anxiety. But when we look at it from a completely different perspective, so in other cultures, let's talk about the Kalahari Bushmen, if you've ever seen the film, The Gods Must Be Crazy. So Mm -hmm. the Kalahari Bushmen, one of the key parts of their cultural identity is they call themselves the keepers of the shake. And they deliberately use this spontaneous movement as part of their health, well-being, healing and spiritual ceremonies on a very regular but weekly basis. So in their culture, if someone's starting to shake and tremor, they're not even seeing it as a release of trauma or a discharge. or They're seeing it as, and I can't pronounce, I think it's called, you almost have, I can't do their, their accent sure. at all, but yeah. effectively and, they're going, yeah. this is, you know, this is the, the great spirit flowing through us, this energy or life force. If we look at it in, say, some of the Indian, Indian traditions as Kundalini, you know, say, right, this is this life force and this wisdom that's awakening moving through us. And in, if we look at it in Christian, you know, some mystic Christian traditions, they would say this is the Holy Spirit coming through us. So if you're at a Christian church or an evangelical church and people's bodies are starting to shake and tremor, they're not going, oh, you're releasing your trauma. They're going, the Holy Spirit's coming in. And the more that it comes in and the bigger it is, the better. And um, one of the great sort of benefits of David Berselli in terms of his gift to the world in relation to TRE is having worked in so many countries over the last 25 years and watched this shaking reflex, what he's become really aware of is going, this is something that's common to all humans, regardless of our culture or our belief system or our religion. So we all have different interpretations of what it is, and yet cultures and people all around the world are all using it and sort of all interpreting the benefits and the effects in different ways but again also at the bottom line is this is making a difference to their sense of self and their their well-being and even in TRE where traditionally and this is only one aspect of TRE it's very much seen as a trauma release process in a neuroscientific model which is wonderful for us in the western world because that's kind of our culture and our language and our religion of the day is we need to understand and make sense of it in a neuroscientific way, which it does, and that's one of the one of the gifts of TRE. But ultimately, our body doesn't care two hoots whether our mind understands what's happening or if we can make sense of it or we can explain it. The body is still going to do this response on its own regardless. So even though all the science around TRE is fascinating and it's wonderful and the trauma model is wonderful, at the end of the day, all that really matters is creating space for our body to do what it needs to do, and it already knows how to do. Um, and that's the that's the real magic of Terry. As, yeah, as you said to me before, um, you know, we, we're looking at it from that Western scientific perspective, um, and somebody else might be saying it's the Holy Spirit, or you know, it, it's the Kundalini, and you know, it doesn't matter what name we put on it. It, it matters is, is the healing response, and you know what. Just because we understand it from a Western scientific perspective doesn't mean 
it's not the Holy Spirit or it's not the Kundalini. We, we can't prove that it's not. Mm, absolutely. And ultimately, and David Baselli's always been very, very clear about this, is that one of the key uh, sort of fundamental pillars that TRE's built on is this concept of neutrality. And by that, what he means is saying, yeah, we will present TRE in a neuroscientific model, but don't get attached to it. It's just a, it's just a translation and a story. Um, so, you know, it's about going, this is what it is. We sort of, you know, we can, I can explain it, but it's re- we really don't know what it is. Like, it's like saying, well, what was it that helped your body in utero grow two arms, two legs and a head and put them in the right spots? You know, you go, what's that? We don't understand what life is. We've got no idea. And the more I teach this process and share it with people, Mick, the less attached I am to the theory and the science. I still use it where appropriate. And when I started, I loved the neuroscience. I loved like the information, the free online course. Like I love the information about the nervous system and it makes so much sense. And it gives me a model to understand my body and how it responds to, you know, stress, financial stress and people who are triggering me and all that different stuff and then how it can unwind. But the more I do it, I keep coming back to what I call my two golden questions with TRE or any other spontaneous movement practice. And that is, are you okay? And is it working for you? Because at the end of the day, nothing else really matters. And if it's not working for you or you're not okay, then that's when you can see, you know, find a TRE provider and they'll help you work out how to use it well and, and regulate it and integrate, integrate it. But also there are lots of other processes, like I mentioned, Seiki Jutsu, Katsujinundos in Japan. Um, there's Shaking Medicine is a, a, a great Australian guy. Keith Motes, who's you know got a global process of you know it's working with the same thing. You've got therapeutic approaches that use it like somatic experiencing and bioenergetics, um, just to to name a few. So at the end of the day, TRE is just an avenue and an interpretation and a way of getting to whatever is this universal thing inside us, which is you know as you say it's a healing response or our body's innate desire to optimize its efficiency. Um, and its well-being, and effectively, that's that's why I say it's not really a technique. The technique of TRE is to get to this point where there's no technique, and now we're just letting the body uh, heal, move, and grow and reorganize itself. That's awesome. Yeah. So the technique is to achieve an absence of technique. Kind of. That's right. It's kind yeah. of we're going. We're using. And we use the exercises or the fatigue to get to the point where the body moves itself. And then once it's moving itself, our job is to get out of the way and just let it move more and let it, let it move freely. And talking about shaking there and going back to my experience with Qigong, you know, I've heard people often refer to Qigong as shaking Qigong. Um, and what I never liked about that name was it implies that you're consciously and deliberately shaking. But when you do Qigong, the shaking is involuntary. It's something that happens through the movement of, of, you know, from the Chinese medicine perspective, you describe it as qi. And again, mm. it's just an, another name. The, the, the name isn't so important. It's, it's, it's the effect. It's, it's the response in the body. And, and the movement of qi, the movement of the energy starts to release and cause a shaking and tremoring through the body involuntarily. Mm. And it's a beautiful, you know, shaking Qigong or Qigong or um, any TRE or anything. It's also a great process in that it, it helps our 
for want of a better word, our mind or our ego or our conscious, you know, whatever it is that we're thinking with and think of as ourselves, come into relationship with the body quite differently rather than just going, my body's my servant and, you know, I, I've got to know everything, I've got to do anything, going, wow, the body's got this innate wisdom. And it also provides an experience, and this is one of the things I love the most, where we are literally learning how to fall into flow states or fall into the zone or jazz musicians say fall into the pocket because ironically, it's not something we cognitively do. It's something where our conscious mind and our ego sort of falls away. So sports people, for example, you know, they play that ultimate game where everything just seems to flow and they will all say the same thing. They'll say it was like I was there and I was doing it, but I wasn't doing it. I wasn't thinking about it. I wasn't choosing. It was all just happening. My body was doing it. Same thing with people writing beautiful music or artwork. They'll just go, there's a sense of surrender and letting go and letting whatever it is flow through us. And so I find beyond just that, I want to release some stress and tension so I can keep living my life as it is. One of the greatest gifts of using this process on an ongoing basis, I find for myself, but also for others, and this is what I'm most passionate about, is it really starts to mature us in our physiology, but also in our you know, psycho-emotional world or our ego and learning how to follow the body and surrender and let go and take control when we need to take control, but learn how to let go and follow, you know, follow the movements and allow and allow things to flow through us and out of us and express both in our physical body while we're you know, doing tremoring or doing TRE, but then also in our life. So it's almost this process of learning how do I come into a mind state where I'm present and I'm observing it, but I'm not trying to consciously create everything. And we're just, you know, like being a conduit or a, uh, you know, a vehicle for life and our expression and whatever the innate genius and intelligence that's inside us to move us and express out through us as well. Well put. That sounds awesome. I was getting confused there at the end myself, but anyway, I hope that makes no, sense. That, that was people. flow. That was a nice flow and explanation of, of on many levels of what's actually happening. Um, mm. So in the past, uh, pre-COVID, um, you were running courses throughout Australia, uh, particularly um, introducing people face-to-face to TRE. That's obviously changed. And at the moment, um, there have been some online courses that you've been running as well as the TRE course um on t www.trecourse.com um is there more online courses upcoming yeah so i i will have an online one day online course at the start of october i think it's saturday the second i haven't got it up on the website yet but that will be soon um that will come up and then there'll be another round of training where people who are wanting to learn to share this with other other people uh will do that but again one of the gifts of covid for you know, me personally, but also TRE in this process around the world is it's gone online. And up until then, there was a bit of nervousness about, oh, we need to have be in the same room and we need to do that. And of course, that hasn't been the case and it's wonderfully suited to teaching it online. A lot of people do individual sessions online, but yeah, my real passion is around getting this free uh, self-guided learning course out there and so that people can learn it on their own and, and use it, at least get started and, and learn the basics. But again, there's always providers around if people need that or they prefer that. And personally for me, I don't like online learning. I'm sick of working on the computer and the last thing I want to mm-hmm. do is watch another hour of uh, you know, 
theory and training and stuff at, at the end of the day. But if I need it and I'm looking for something, then absolutely I will do that. And um, so the online the online space has become a real an amazing thing really for TRE because I've been working with people from all over the world who are you know just looking for a bit of guidance and getting it getting the technique working so that then they can go away and use it on their, on their own. And that's what I'm most passionate about. It's going, I'm like an educator or a guide. I don't want you to come and see me all the time. I want you to go and enjoy your life. And if I can give you this process and teach you how to use it, then you can go away and uh, just keep using it on your own forever. Is the hope per- perhaps next year to get back doing face-to-face uh, courses and workshops? Look, it is, and in Australia, obviously in Australia, as the vaccination rates go up and, and things open up again, then yes, I really look forward to doing uh, face-to-face and group workshops because as good as the online space is, there is a difference when we um, can work with people's bodies physically, so literally helping the tremors physically, but also is when we can gather together and use this tremoring response together. So you People know the value. When you're meditating and there's a whole lot of people meditating together, it's like it can be much deeper because you're all resonating together. And the same is true with this tremoring response where when everybody is there surrendering to their body's movements, a whole group of people will tend to resonate together in an extraordinary and profound way. And I liken it to singing. You know, you can sing in the shower on your own and it's great fun and it sounds great, but when you sing in a choir and there's harmonies and there's the bigger the choir, it's something else completely. So there is absolutely real value in, you know, if people are learning it, if you get the chance to attend a workshop so that you can shake and tremor in a group is wonderful. But at the same time, if you've got a family, if you're all doing it, you know, together at the same time or even just yourself and your partner, there can be really significant uh, benefits of getting into sync, literally physiologically letting your nervous systems and your energy fields and your physical bodies move together can be quite quite profound and and really beautiful absolutely it can yeah yeah it's a lovely thing to share with other people yeah look and and it makes me think if we can mention one last thing mick of course is the area that we often don't talk about is where most people experience these spontaneous shakes and tremors and movement of course is during sex and love making or orgasm so, you know, most people, you go, right, if you've ever had an orgasm of any description, you've had an involuntary movement experience. Now, is that traumatic? Hmm, maybe, but for most of us, it's intensely pleasurable. And um, so, again, when we understand, right, let's allow these movements, we can actually bring that into sex and lovemaking. And again, it can be a profound thing, not just maybe using the tremors to calm down and regulate and get in sync with each other and then use lovemaking but to actually allow that spontaneous movement process to start to take over during the lovemaking as well. And then, of course, through orgasm and movement, just fully surrendering and allowing the, the, the flow of pleasure. So it's not all about hard work and recovery from the past and you know dealing with tension and stress and all that. It, it's also about, again, coming into our bodies in this pleasurable, free-flowing state and allowing them to move and express the joy and pleasure that is also inside every one of us. And it is certainly my experience of it. I often spontaneously just laugh um, when, when I do it because it just releases so much joy from, from within. Mm, it is. It's a process of, process of us coming alive. That's 
again, in our Western world, the, the sad reality is a lot of us are fairly stressed, fairly tense, fairly contained um, in our life and our expression. Not to say that's all wrong or bad, but when you look around the Western world and you watch people's bodies and how we move, we're quite a restricted, uh, you know, pretty stiff old uh, sort of culture. Um, even if we come from all sorts of different, you know, races and behaviours very contained. And that's got its benefits, of course. But um, there's a wonderful documentary, which I think you can still find on YouTube. It's one of my absolute favourites. It's called When the Moment Sings the Muse Within. And it's a cultural anthropologist who go, who looks at rhythm and movement in African cultures. And, you know, watching the movements and the expression and the joy and the dancing and the free flow of physical body and energy and life and vitality. It's extraordinary. And then there's this wonderful clip where they cross to um, some people in the Western world, you know, carrying briefcases, strutting to a train station, all stiff and rigid and in a hurry. And it's such a stark contrast. And it's not to say that we're all like that, but culturally, you know, there are so many cultures that are so more expressive and physical movement. You know, I think of uh, you know, the Carnival in Rio, for example. Um, so there's all these cultural overlays and in the Western, especially coming out of a British uh, heritage, which is kind of largely my, my ancestral background or Irish more, but that sort of, anyway, Anglo, Anglo-Saxon kind of background, where the classic saying is that we have a, a stiff upper lip, which basically means we don't let our lips tremble and we don't let anyone see that we're shake, <laughs> that we're vulnerable or we're scared or we're recovering. And it's such a deeply ingrained part of that white Anglo-Saxon culture that, you know, that, that for 50, 80 years, this capacity to not let yourself shake and tremor or fall apart has kind of been one of the founding pillars of white Western culture, sadly. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, well, thank you so much, Richmond, for sharing that today. That was, uh, was a great session. I really enjoyed um, the perspective today on, on TRE it was uh, it, you did reference Vipassana and so for those who are listening there is we have recorded the podcast in the past with Richmond about his personal experience uh, with TRE and Vipassana and going into great detail about that that process and I definitely recommend having listened to that because that was a, a really great session I really enjoyed that day and um, very uh, very vulnerable that day Um in, in your sharing and it, it was it was awesome to to bear witness to that yeah and that, and look that session was it was great that that podcast and it was very much more about me sharing my personal experience and my personal journey today's been a lot more about you know kind of the theory or the professional aspects of theory which is really useful so yeah it was a it was an amazing uh it was, it was an amazing interview one of the to really be able to share all that that experience as wild and woolly as it was at the time because yeah. they had no model for what was happening in in those moments. And that was one of the great gifts of TRE was having a trauma-informed model of making sense of, hang on, my body's moving on its own. doesn't mean I've gone crazy. It doesn't mean everything's, you know, I've lost the plot uh, entirely at least. Uh, but it gave a, a model to to make sense of it. So it normalised it and, and really reframes it as a positive, positive resource for us all. So TREAustralia.com is um, the website here in Australia specifically. And the website, uh, the international website again? So, yeah, the international website is traumaprevention.com. Traumaprevention.com. So that's the global, global TRE um, 
organisation's website. And as I say, there's I think, providers in more than 70 countries and training and workshops in almost all of those countries as well. So you can, okay. you can definitely get access to TRE anywhere you are. And a register of providers on both the international site and the Australian site for, for yeah. if you're looking for a practitioner local to you. Yeah, that's right. And I would recommend that you, um, if you're doing TRE, find someone who is a registered practitioner because one of the difficulties with this technique is because it's so easy to teach people a couple of exercises and get them shaking, that some people do the course or do a weekend workshop. They don't do the training. They don't learn everything about it. And they go, hey, I can tell those people those three exercises and they're shaking and I'll tell you what I've learned. And so one of the difficulties is there are a lot of people out there who will teach it and um, most of the time that's going to be okay. But for some people, you know, if you've got medical conditions, mental health conditions, a history of trauma, you may then find, okay, I'm not sure how to integrate it. It's a bit overwhelming or it's not working and all that sort of thing. So if that's you, I highly recommend finding a, a certified TRE provider or someone who's trained in other shaking and spontaneous movement practices. But just be... Um, it's a double-edged sword because part of the gift of TRE is that it doesn't have to be therapeutic model. Um, but the flip side is for some people, you know, they're going to need that additional help and help and guidance. So trust your intuition. If it feels right, great. If it doesn't, then yeah, reach out and find a certified provider or someone else trained in any of these spontaneous movement techniques. Awesome. Cool. Thank you so much, Richmond. That's a session today. Great information. And, You're welcome. Uh, Thanks, yeah. for, Thanks for having me on, me. Well, so that was Richmond Heath talking about TRE um, and much more besides, of course. I love interviewing Richmond. He's such a he's such a great guy. Great to interview. So engaging and interesting. Such a wealth of wisdom and knowledge, not just about TRE, of course, um, because Richmond has, has studied and trained extensively in, in many different fields of, of well-being and, and spirituality, as I mentioned before. So some of the takeaways from me from that, well, particularly looking at TRE, remembering that TRE is, it's the technique is to aim for an absence of technique. Really, that, that's the thing. It's, it's about connecting with the body, listening to the body, allowing the body to express what it needs to express. When I think of TRE, I often think of um, the Avengers, you know, the Avengers movie with, uh, you know, Iron Man and the Hulk and all that. And at the, uh, where there's the big fight in New York and, and somebody says to, uh, to Dr. Banner said, um, how do you get angry? He said, oh, that's, that's the trick. I'm always angry. And he just, you know, suddenly just unleashes the Hulk. And that's how I feel sometimes when, when I think of TRE, when I engage TRE and I do TRE. It's not so much that I'm always angry, though I probably always am deep down inside. There's, a, there's, a, there's always a energy inside. And anger is, it can be a really positive energy when it's channeled in the right way. Um, it can give you so much vitality but when I, when I do TRE I feel like that that tremor is just just there under the surface just waiting to be allowed to release to just just be set free and when I start doing TRE the tremor just starts to move and then I start to stretch and you know not just shaking and tremoring but, but can take on many different forms like I say stretching and it's such a fascinating area and being introduced to it by uh, Richmond a few years ago it was like a sense of um aha, this is what it is. It, it's kind of put words to, and, and an understanding to what it's been doing for many years through Qigong. So that's one of the things. It's, you know, it, it's, just, it's just waiting to happen. It's just a matter of just letting it. The body just wants to express. 
Now, those websites that we talked about, if you're looking for a TRE provider for some guidance on, on TRE and how to engage it, you can go to treaustralia.com. The course is on there as well as a link, self-guided learning. Underneath there is a TRE course that was put together by Richmond. Um, it's a great, great course. Now, when I say a course, it, there are no assignments. It's about three and a half hours, as he said, of, of videos uh, talking about TRE, giving some of the background behind it, explaining it, and then guiding you through how to do it. But if you do need a little more guidance from an actual TRE provider, you can go to traumaprevention.com. That's the website, I believe, set up by Dr. David Roselli, who developed TRE. And there is a listing there of TRE providers around the world. And treaustralia.com is a listing of providers specifically in Australia, which, of course, is where we are based. Uh, so um, please get on there and find out more about it because TRE is so, so uh, useful, so liberating is a word I often feel liberated when I engage TRE. So I highly recommend checking it out. As for more than wellness podcasts, there will be more. I don't have specific dates for them yet. I have a couple of guests lined up, but I'm not rushing the podcast this time. Like before I was coming out with a weekly podcast, I want to make sure that the quality of the podcast remains really high. And so we have time to prepare them properly. So they'll be less frequent, but hopefully really, really high quality podcasts when they do come out and that they do address uh, our needs from a, a mental, emotional, spiritual well-being perspective. Myself, I am available for TRE. If you are looking for a TRE provider, you can uh, find me at Solace Wellbeing. Actually, facebook.com forward slash Solace Wellbeing is my page or facebook.com forward slash More Than Wellness Podcast. You can find me there as well. You can message me if you do need a session. I'm also available for well-being coaching. Uh, whether that be online or face-to-face in Melbourne, uh, but also online anywhere. Um, So, yeah, uh, look forward to talking to you again soon. Take it easy. Mm